Welcome everybody to another episode uh, brought to you by the Organic and Regenerative Investment Cooperative. Our theme is how do you start an organic farming movement uh, from scratch. We are interviewing the movers and shakers in the organic industry and you have, we have one of them right now. Frank Harney is a organic broadacre farmer. Frank, thank you very much for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure, Sam. Good so, to see you. You too, mate. And we, we try to get you out in a paddock. Uh, to show that you really are a farmer, but I uh, don't think the internet allows that out where you are. Is that right? Unfortunately, Telstra are uh, having a bit of fun at the moment, so I think we'd uh, struggle to hold the hold the uh, signal. But anyway, we'll. I, I am on the farm. You can be sure of that. So uh, <laughs> we'll take. We just we'll, had to come up near the house where we uh, the only place we get phone service. Well, we'll take your word for it, Frank. Maybe we might get some photos <laughs> and integrate it to make it. Make, People who I can, realize I can, I, can reach, I can reach over and grab a handful of compost to share. <laughs> well, let's, well, that's something to talk about. So let's get let's get cracking, Frank. I've got a lot of questions. Um, it's great to have uh, our first farmer on, on this interview series. Um, like you're the reason why we exist to support people like you, Frank. So want to learn why you're into organic farming and how you go about doing it, um, and hopefully we can inspire some more people to get farming and also people to invest to support. Uh, people like you. So, first question, Frank, we've been asking everyone: What is your passion, and what makes you get up in the morning? I just love growing stuff and making compost, making watching plants grow. My, 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 my passion is just to make things grow. I love making things grow and and healthily as well. So it's just it's an exciting time. Actually, I've I've come from the from the big. Uh, in unorganic world, as uh, and uh, there's not much money in doing that. And now seeing the way it's the way I can do it now, it's just yeah. Instead of wanting you to stay in bed because you don't want to get on a boom spray, now you want to get out, get out and get at it because you know you don't have to go near the boom spray. Uh, that is brilliant. And uh, um, so what? So that idea of organic farming, Frank, where did that come from? What 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 do you love about it? And how come you're in this space? <laughs> Yeah, I'm a bit unique, Sam, in that we probably got into this space slightly by default through the through the drought years, where the big conventional system. I was big broad acre, and I mean big acres. And with big acres, conventionally comes big costs, and and the big four banks. And when you have four to seven years of drought in a row where you don't strip a grain or a, grow a blade of hay, you uh, certainly find you've got the bank on your back. So uh, we. We came about it by not having any money, which allowed the three years to elapse, and then got introduced to it by a couple of dairy farmers and um, realised that hell, this isn't um, this isn't a bad thing. It's uh, it's actually an, it's it's gone past the, the probably the warm and fuzzies and and become a an economically viable way of farming. And and when you really start getting into it, you realise that well shit. We were doing this 20 years ago successfully enough and um, we've been lured and coerced by the big chemical companies and fertiliser companies into we'll only way we'll feed the world is with fertiliser and chemical. Well, I think that's a bit of false economy and once you realise and even if you eat your own veggies off the backyard, back, back veranda off my own compost, you realise how much nicer they are. So I come from a slightly different uh, bent as I wasn't organic up until five or six years ago, and and now I'm probably more passionate than some that are already in it. 
I reckon it's a really interesting story, your journey, Frank, because we, uh, well, I grew up where you are, you live now in a similar sort of area and the idea of organic farming was just never mm-hmm. in the in the, the language of the, the region at all where I, when I was growing up. To, so to know you're into that space is really, really interesting. And yeah, to know you're but it's probably, still, it's, it's probably still not too talked about either. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm the only one within a fair radius of here, but there is plenty of people watching what I'm doing. Don't worry about that. I love the angle. And we'll unpack that a bit more, Frank, but um, I just want to go a bit more philosophical with you before we get into some details about your farming. So we're talking about this how to create an organic farming movement. What, from your point of view, from, a, from the farmer's point of view, what are some thoughts on how do we go about creating this movement um, uh, of organic, good organic farming? I think we've bought... It's a bit of a double non-tondra. More mainstream farmers to do it because there is that perception that it's the warm and fuzzies and only small. Uh, you know, the ones that are doing it in a big way, it, it can be done in a in a bigger, broad acre way on on the low, more low commodity, uh, low value commodity crops like your wheat and your barley's. Like it's it, it can be done, and that's from where I I see come from. But as far as a movement. The movement's there on the consumer side. There's no doubt there's a demand there. Um, I think we just got to educate more farmers that it is a sustainable method of farming. That will be the first step, I think. And is it, and is it the worry of doing it at scale? Is that the is that the thing? Is it have we quite have we been able to get that solution for doing it at the broad acre that really does um, bring the efficiency the efficiencies of a scale? I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, that that three-year um, withholding period, so to speak, is what probably deters a lot mm. because they go, well, hell, a lot can change in three years in farming. So that, I think, holds a lot back. I don't have an answer to how we overcome that, obviously, but, um, yeah. Uh, that, that's yeah. It. I think that's it. It's, a, it's, about, um, it's just about showing people, it feels like, that this is possible and it's really financially viable, which we're going to unpack in some of the questions as well, Frank. Um, I... I yeah, I think you're on the money. It's around those farmers and, and convincing them. Um, but this is a more of an yeah. economic uh, solution for them rather than a feel good and lose money. It's not that story That's at all. right. That's right. Because a lot of the old ones, it was almost farming by default. They were organic because they just didn't do anything. Whereas we want to try and marry what we've learned already and, and bring some of that technology and you know even GPS technology for for inter-row weeding, for example. So utilise some of that technology that we've that out there. Work. I mean, weeds is basically, I think, the single biggest issue um, we've got to combat with, and I think any other organic farmer would agree, you know, whether it's by mulching or mechanical weeding or everything you, you look at. So the, the better and the more use, you know, even drones and and even autonomous farming, I think, will it'd be a big play. If you could just send a machine out to read between the rows, well, hell's bells, that's uh, going to revolutionise the job. Uh, it's, it's, it's coming, Frank. When people watch this on YouTube in five years' time, they'll be like, oh, that's pretty old school, having the robots yeah. out there. Uh, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, mate, I want to unpack a bit more. Give me some numbers. Give me some geographical locations. Where do you farm? And give us the size and the and the type of farming you do. So we we've got a bit of uh, 
Telstra malfunction there, but can you still hear me? Yep, we, we, uh, we're basically right in central Victoria, almost smack bang in the middle of a triangle between Bendigo, Achuga and Shepparton. The compost yard's here at Elmore, and one of our major blocks is uh, partway towards Shepparton, a little town called Corop, where there's 800 acres there that um, we grow oat and hay, which is obviously done partly for weed control, uh, wheat, and this year we'll finally dabble into the uh, the dangerous world of legumes for a crop. To um, we'll probably do a canola and pea mix or a whatever, so the canola will create the cover crop to keep the weeds out, and then we'll clean them apart. So we're looking at dabbling in a few things like that. Um, we're looking at some steaming technology that we've brought in from America on the big balers to uh, to steam weeds. So, yeah, all our management's pretty much based around weed control because obviously we're back to working the ground a bit, which is not our preferred option. But at the moment, um, we're doing that. But, of course, having our own supply of compost, well, every time we cultivate a paddock, we add a tonne of compost. So the crops could get up to seven or eight tonnes of compost, which is a bit of a privilege from my side of things. But uh, that should start to build our organic matter and... We're going to have a little political dig if the government ever gets its act together, and um, which I don't think it ever will. It'll just do more chest pounding. But uh, And we get the carbon credit side of things, and that would be also a great way of encouraging farmers, even if they didn't go organic, it encourages farmers to farm more regeneratively. And, uh, and then the next step from that is they go, well, shit, I don't have to do much more to go organic and pick up a few extra premiums. Love the way you're talking, Frank, uh, but I want to unpack for the audience some of the things you talked about there. Um, so you're heavy into compost, this is my understanding. Uh, so I want to get you yes. to unpack what compost is and how you make it and then why you're doing it. So my understanding is around using that to help encourage the building of organic matter, specifically carbon in the soil, because that means you get more nutrients being retained, so you need less fertilizers, plus it helps you to retain water. Is that the... Is that the story? And, un- and unpack how it all That's works. it in a nutshell. The the statistics for every 1% of carbon you increase in your soil, you store 147,000 litres extra of water. So if, you know, without being a cynic or being a panic merchant, I mean, the weather is changing. So if we are going to get a bit warmer, well, the more carbon we've got in the soil to store moisture and keep the soil moisture down, I think... I think that singly alone, if we could just, if Australia built its carbon up by one percent, we'd sequester all. It'd be a, the next biggest Australian export, uh, sorry, uh, or import of money, yeah. which, whichever way you word that, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's it's a perfect way to sequester the carbon. Whether it be, again, political or warm and fuzzy, it's just a, a logical fact. If you increase carbon, you get better soil production, get better crop production. So, to do that. We have taken on contracts with some of the big waste companies in Melbourne, bringing bringing Melbourne's green waste out. So they've got a problem that goes in the landfill, or we solve it by then turning it into an agricultural-ready product to put back into the soil. So we we compost it on for 12 weeks, mature it, screen it, make sure it meets all um, licensing regulations and it's pathogen-free, weed-free. Then we we do sell that, um, and we've got it organically certified. So that's available, and plus we use a lot of it ourselves as a nutrient source, a carbon-increasing source, and basically, yeah, fertilising the crop now is the least of our problems. That's brilliant. So, so the, well, you keep going, keep going, Frank. So the composting process basically is get it into a windrow, keep it above that 
55 to 60 degrees. Um, they say in the in the handbook for you know three consecutive days. Well, shit, we'd have it at that temperature for 10 weeks or five, oh, seven to eight weeks, and then so it builds up from when it arrives. You maintain it at a high level, turn it several times, keep it uh, aerating it, and the moisture levels right. Then it cools off in the last 10 to 12 weeks when it's ready, and away we go. So that helps improve the biological or the microbial activity, um, and all in all, just goes hand in hand to start improving the soil. It's pretty impressive. So I've got an organic compost bin, Frank. I, I was imagining you just got four or five of them. Is that the? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, <laughs> I think there's 40 rows that are 400 meters long. There's probably about wow. 8,000 tons of stuff sitting oh. here at the moment, cooking away. So uh, that's the other part that gets me up every morning because I know if I don't, it'll get away from me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm either, well, Sam, I'm either uh, work full, <laughs> I'm either spreading shit, talking shit, or just full of shit. So, um, no, it's great stuff. We've got our own piggery as well. So, you know, it's just, it's a resource at the city. We, we grow the food, we send it to Melbourne. We should get all the shit back so we can grow the food again and send it to Melbourne or whatever the city is. And it just should be a... A closed loop economy, and and yeah, that's how to me it would be simple. Uh, it makes too much sense, Frank. There must be some flaw there somewhere. I'll find it. Um, yeah, they're called politicians, but um, <laughs> well, well, this is I love it, mate. Um, let's keep going. You've sort of touched on a little bit around weeds, but would that be the most difficult thing from Broadacre perspective on becoming organic, or is it the jabs you get at the pub on a Friday night from the well, a bit of both, but it would be probably be the single biggest factor of when you when you do go to the pub and they say, well, how are you going to control weeds? And most of them have got resistant ryegrass and you go, well, how are you going controlling your weeds with 10 litres of Roundup? And so, yeah, but I think it is the scary one that you've, you've got to get your head around, around how you're going to manage weeds. And I don't think it matters whether it's from, you'll often hear an organic dairy farmer say, or someone thinking about dairy, well, how am I going to control the weeds in my channel? Or how am I going to do X or Y, and I imagine a lot of the Hort guys, they, they're mulching and they're doing that. And for us, on a broad acre, obviously mulching's not something, you know, well, we're looking at cover cropping, but mechanical control of weeds and, and hopefully get them killed early and uh, and get the crop ahead of them. The, the, the aim of the game is to get the crop up established and it will be a competitor to the weed and, and you just do it naturally. Uh, Frank, there's so much to unpack there, but I want to unpack one thing you said, cover cropping. Can you unpack? Uh, what that is and how that works? Basically, there's a whole move in America and, and around the world, and, and some are doing it here, to have a living organism or living crop in your paddock 12 months of the year. Mm-hmm. So this is from a broad acre cropping program. So once we harvest the winter crop, we don't have irrigation, but then sow a crop that will grow through the summer. And, and it'll, it'll maintain, um, the Americans call it armour, or a, basically a cover of mulch on the ground. So you are effectively mulching your paddock roll it down, sow the next winter crop into it. So all that summer period, you can either feed stock as a, as a cash income, but basically the main aim is to get to grow a carbon material to put back in the ground, but to keep the soil protected through our hot months. Okay, and that, and that uh, also encourages... Keep the soil cooler. So soil cooler, water retention. Also, I believe you get rid of... If you've got nothing growing, carbon starts seeping away. Is that right as well? I believe, I'm, I'm out, of my league, <coughs> out of my league on the education part of that, but I believe that's correct. And also a lot of your biology will move away or die off, but 
um, if you've got healthy soil, you know, your mycorrhizal fungi and the like will suddenly will come back to life pretty quick. So, yeah, so basically creating environment, it's a bit like, it's a bit like us, I suppose. We don't eat for six weeks and do nothing for six, uh, sorry, eat for six months and do nothing for six months, do we? So we've got yeah. to keep, um, you know, I, I often say, a bit like winning a footy grand final and all you do is drink beer and eat hamburgers for four days. By the following Wednesday, the body's telling you that you probably need a feed of veggies. And, you know, I call this this compost and that's like steak and three, steak and four veggies. You're, you're giving the paddock everything it needs, not just urea or not just DAP or not just chemical. You're, you're trying to balance your paddock the same as we try and balance our diet. I think it's just so interesting. I'm learning a lot. Of, I've only just heard about this cover cropping concept the last couple of months. and um, Yeah, it's just so much to unpack. And I guess that's what I like about what you're doing is that um, you're not just dwelling on what the potential problems are. You're going out and finding the solutions, moving on. Like there's, there's, there's solutions for stuff. You just got to get, get out there and, and have a crack. Yeah, up, and, look, and it'll come with it. Because we don't get rain through our summer periods here, although it seems to be changing, the cover crop will be difficult. And, and this is, I suppose, where people realise when they perhaps go crook that their organic produce is a little bit dearer. You know, we're trying to refine it, but all of this comes, you know, there is, a, there is an added cost to growing the organic crop. Um, I, I think actually in time when we get it right, it'll actually be cheaper than all the synthetic um, operations. But right at the minute, as we develop certain aspects and get these systems down pat, and, and mother, mother Nature will continue to continue to be what Mother Nature is. One year it'll work, and the next year it'll not. She, she hasn't written a um, she hasn't written the bloody Ten Commandments in stone. I'll give you the tip. Every year's a bloody different. You know, she's a different beast. That's it, Frank. You're, you're a gambler at heart. It sounds like you love. Uh, red is. fourteen. Red fourteen on the roulette <laughs> table, mate. Frank, forty uh, jumper. Uh, so. We're, we're taught, well, we've gone through uh, why you're an organic <laughs> farmer, uh, the methods, uh, how you're minimising risk. What about at the end of the day, you've got a truckload of uh, grain in your truck. Uh, who wants it? Does anyone want it? What's the what's the demand side for the stuff you're producing? Well, when I, when I first started, I, the bloke said, oh, you'll get this price for it and you'll get that. And I'm like, shit, that's bloody too good to be true. And sure enough, it was a reasonably good year and it was too good to be true. So we got half that price, but it was still better than the domestic market on the day. And look, since we've got into it, uh, currently a lot of our grain is going to a company that's really pushing the ag da- uh, organic dairy, which is um, ACM. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're doing a really good job of encouraging dairy farmers and helping them transition. So we're currently selling our feed grain through them. Um, our, our oat and hay, it actually left the country. It got exported to Korea. Um, so there's actually a, a fairly large market there. And for most broadacre guys, the organic... The oat and hay is a good weed control method. If you do have a paddock, get out of it. We might as well export the weeds to someone else and they're not our problem, <laughs> especially overseas. No, it's mainly rye. Um, so that's a good option. And then since then, hardly a week goes by, you don't get a phone call from someone saying, hey, can you grow this? I've got a market for this, but I can't source it. Or can you grow that? Or woolies want more berries or someone wants more bloody uh, barley. And, and I'm my... Uh, I have uh, three sons home with me or in various ways, two, one full-time and two part-time sort of thing, but itching to come home. Our, our two biggest restrictors are probably is land to develop and uh, and the capital to do it. So, um, you know, it'd be, be great for investors that want to get in this space. There 
those farmers out there that will, will do it and will grow it. We probably just need, uh, don't need handouts, is the old saying. We just need a hand up. So any investors that want to make a good return on their buck, uh, there's some really good opportunities, you know, once the transition is over and in that three years, you know, um, the, 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 the demand, they, uh, it's currently increasing, the demand for produce is currently increasing at 15% per annum. There is talk that in the next five years it could increase by 500%. The... Um, you know, the Weekly Times this week is just, you know, three dairy, three more dairy companies are screaming for more organic milk. So the mm. dairy industry is going to um, need more food. Um, so one of the big egg producers, the only reason they can't expand their things is they can't get a reliable source of grain to feed the chooks. Things like this. So I think one will one will all help the other. And, um, and again, it's the same with the compost. You know, we've now got an organically certified compost. We've even... Um, that's very good for filming, Sam. But we've even got it uh, in a in a pelletized bag, so that uh, that you know it's a form that um, can be used in an air seeder or transported a long distance. So yeah, we we've gone down a lot of paths to make it more. Can you show that, Frank? Can you just put that up? Just put it just a little. So basically, it's a a pellet like a. Um, Basically, a pallet like you would see your. Um, you have to go higher, mate. Can't uh, quite no, get them out there. Too small. Ah, they're a pallet. We there, get it. We get it. Basically, a pallet like you'd see a chook pallet or whatever. Yeah. And um, you can just sprinkle a handful around the pot plant, or you can buy them in a bulk of scale and put them under your hydroponics. Uh, not hydroponics. You know your your veggies or whatever, and it's in a much. It's not. It's a non-dusty product, so. Yeah. You know, we're sort of trying to do our part there. Obviously, we're in business to make money too, like it's commercial, but it's um, we're trying to make it more available and and more readily usable. So it's, it'll be better to freight and uh, more um, user-friendly. Frank, this has been brilliant. Um, I think there's one call to action for anyone watching who is excited by what Frank's saying. So if, in summary is there are farmers out there like Frank, ready to go, doing great jobs, can scale operations. And that's why, again, organic, Regenerative Investment Cooperative is here because we want to support more farmland acquisition that supports good organic farming. So if you're excited by this, we encourage you to reach out and you want to invest, you can invest. We buy a land which supports uh, farmers such as Frank. Um, so that's just a, a blatant plug uh, to get in touch with what we're doing because we want to expand what Frank's doing. We think it's awesome and other organic farmers across the country uh, Frank, where can I um, buy a bag of those pellets? Yeah, we, we're going online very shortly, but um, you can just email Elmore Compost and Organics. Yep. And uh, we've got compost in bulk, in bulk of bags, in pellets. We've got wheat. We've got oat and hay. We've got. We've even had an inquiry for some little bales of organic straw from our wheat crop to grow mushies. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's good. And the fellow that rang me said, I can't get it anyway. Mm. So hopefully we're filling a hole and uh, and it's looking really good. Mate. And, and back, back to your the investment side of things, the other part of the investment is don't worry just about saving what's already organic. We, we've got the methods in place. We've got markets for in-conversion. We've still got our old markets for conventional, which so where we want to sort of probably specialise in is that invest with our, invest with Oracle and buy land that's not organic, we've got a position. Like a lot say, oh, shit, I don't make any money while I'm converting. Well, we think we can 
we can do that transition successfully broad acres so you know the the, the country can can lock straight into its three years of, of, of preparation and we go from there so the more country we can turn to organic probably in the end the cheaper the product will be become for the con consumer but then the more efficient we'll become as well and i think this yeah, there's good opportunity for us all to grow together sounds like a win-win frank mate thank you very much for your time appreciate it i know you're very busy um but uh yeah reach out to frank if you want to find out more uh but thanks very much mate we'll uh, we'll see you around no doubt very soon no worries, Sam. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Okay, bye. Thanks for your attention. We hope you really enjoyed that interview. We are the Organic and Regenerative Investment Cooperative. We would love for you to sign up, become a member, uh, follow us on all the social media accounts, uh, connect with other like-minded people who uh, want to see organic farming thrive across Australia. Uh, please watch the other videos in our series as well and, and share amongst your friends and family. Uh, but please do get in contact. Uh, we'd love to chat.